We're going to talk about, today we're talking about a new, uh, a new series we're starting called Finally Free. We're going to base it around the book of Galatians. Uh, Paul says in Galatians 5 verse 1, I w- it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and don't be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Now, Paul knew about legalism because he had grown up in a legalistic system. He knew about doing better and trying harder and never living up to the expectations that the law put on him. See, the law produces an awareness of sin, but it offers no power to do it. The do not of the law makes us aware of what we need to do, but it doesn't provide us with the power to do it. And Paul felt this. He felt this heavy ought weighing on him that he could never outrun. He could never fully satisfy. He always felt like no matter how hard he tried, that he always missed the mark. He was almost there, but not quite. And that's legalism. This verse in Acts gives us a little insight about Paul. I'd never seen this before. It's amazing how you can read the Bible for years and years and then see something you've never seen before, but it's just because it's a living word. And Paul said, brethren, I'm a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. So Paul says, I grew up a Pharisee. My dad was a Pharisee, but he said he doesn't see Pharisee. He says Pharisees. So he's saying my lineage, my grandfather was a Pharisee. Now there's nothing like the weight of family stuff to weigh you down, and especially religious family stuff. Nobody can make you feel like a complete failure, like good God-fearing parents. You can imagine in the Pharisaical Judaism that Paul grew up in, based on keeping the law, not just keeping the law, but keeping the traditions of men, not just keeping the, you know, (laughs) hundreds of laws in the Old Testament, both practical laws and dietary laws, but also they had added about hundreds and hundreds of the traditions of men, permutations, mutations of the law where they had interpreted it and said, if you're going to do it right, you have to do it this way. If you're going to do the Sabbath, you have to do it this way. If you're going to, you know, everything was down to the nth degree. And so you can imagine it's good for producing shame and disappointment. But here's the thing about when you mix God into it, not only do you disappoint your parents, but you disappoint God too. If being a good child is not enough, and that's sometimes hard to be a child, learning and being a child is tough. Being every age has its own challenges. Being a teenager, being 12, 13, 14 years old is hard. A lot of changes, a lot of emotional changes, mental changes going on in your body, a lot of things happening. And if we're not careful, we weigh our children down with not only just behaving well because we have expectations, and it's right for parents to have expectations about behavior. That's our job. Our job as parents is to teach our children to obey authority and to, that's part of being a parent. They have to learn how to do their best and do what's right. That's not legalism. Legalism is when you make it about their relationship with God. See, the world system is based on performance. Right? You got to show up at your job. You can't say, well, God doesn't expect me to. Yeah, but we do. If you don't show up at your job, guess what? We're not going to give you a paycheck. Let God give you a paycheck. 
The world system is based on best. And you grow up in a world system, so you have to perform. You have to do your best. But it becomes dangerous for us when we try to blend our children's relationship with God and their relationship with what they need to do. So that we, we add an additional ought, an, a, another layer of obedience and guilt that we can lay on them. So instead of behavior just being a behavior issue, if you're not careful, it becomes a sin issue. You've disappointed God. Not only did you disappoint us, but God's mad at you. He's not. But man, sometimes you need a heavy when you're a parent. Right? Really, what the Bible says is that we need to be careful about this. The best way to, for your children to see what would Jesus do is that they observe you doing it. Now, I'm, you know, after the first service, I had some people concern me. Are you telling me that we don't tell our children what to do? No, I'm not telling you that. Your children need to be, need to be told what to do. That's the purpose of the law. They have to grow to maturity. You, see, you know what maturity is? Maturity is when you have the wisdom to do the right thing on your own. Now, some, for some people, that may kick in at 15. They say that, 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 a, that a youth's brain doesn't mature until 25 years old, possibly later. That until 25, you have difficulty making rational decisions because your brain is not fully formed, which I've always believed that about kids. Is that, you know, and some teenagers, they're not all there. Uh, and us too. We, we, we struggle with that. There are, there are seasons. It's not that you're not to get your children to obey. That you, you need to get them to a point of maturity. That's the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is a tutor to show us our need of Christ. In other words, it shows us that we can't keep the law. In the same way as parents, we have to set boundaries for our children to help them grow and mature until they get to the point where they can keep the law on their own. They can keep what they ought to do. Or you can the right thing to do by their own motivation. The earlier you can get that to come about, the better. Some kids are grown up at 12. And some kids ain't grown up at 50. So, the problem is, is that when we bring a child's relationship to God into their behavior, and we use that as a discipline measure or as a, another yoke upon them. We put a weight on them that they're not capable of bearing. We may, you know, so we make it a problem because we, we add another layer of shame instead of being a positive. That's why I'm not against Christian schools, but all, any, any Christian activity has the danger of creating another layer of legalism for your kids to undo. Now, that doesn't mean that they will, but you always have to be aware of that, that if you love Jesus, you would. You know, that's, you know, if you love Jesus. I can remember, I grew up in a legalistic system. I grew up in a legalistic church system. A legalistic church system is where if you ask questions, they question your love for Jesus. When I, when I was in Bible school, you couldn't grow a beard because it wasn't godly. Now, what was interesting is they had the walls of all the founders 
And they all had these big, you know, beards. But we couldn't have beards because they weren't approved. And so if, when you, so I, I grew a beard and got in trouble. And so, you know, so I, you know, be, being the way there was. I, so I just asked questions. Why is it okay for them? And basically the answer was, if you love Jesus, you would know. In other words, how do you deal with when there's, instead of answering a question, you don't want to answer a question, then you make it about spirituality. If you love Jesus, you wouldn't even ask these questions. It's because you have a rebellious heart. There's rebellion in your heart. And the truth of that is, yes, there is rebellion in my heart. And there's rebellion in all of our hearts. So, so what I want you to get is that we want to be careful we, want, we don't want to use Jesus as an extra measure of discipline on your children. We don't want to, you don't want to make them a product of guilt and shame. And, you know, you think about, think about Judaism makes the family behavior and Judaism, they tie it together. It's a well-known thing. Jews talk about this. Jewish guilt. They make jokes about it. There's me, I could have showed you a meme about it, cartoons about it. They recognize it because they, they, in blending God's approval and your parents' approval and the tradition of your faith's approval, by blending that all together, you create a burden that nobody carries well. Shame and guilt. Nobody does good with shame and guilt. And Paul knew this. He understood this because he came from generations of it. He was a product of a shame-filled, guilt-filled system. He knew how hard it was to try to measure up and always miss the mark. And he tried really, really hard. He tried really, really hard. I want you to see Galatians 1.13, Paul says this. For you've heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure, and I tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. Now that's one over that, how he's describing that. Being more extremely zealous. He's saying, I was going over the top for my ancestral traditions. And did you notice this? He says, I was advancing beyond many of my contemporaries. It was a competition. Who could be the best Jew? Paul said, and I was winning. But I wasn't happy. Because I still felt the shame and the guilt of not being good enough. I still knew that I didn't measure up. He says in Acts 22, he's describing how zealous he was about this. He, to show his zeal, he persecuted the church. He said, I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. He's speaking to the Ephesian, to uh, in Ephesus, so Paul grew up in Ephesus, educated under Gamaliel. So Paul had a great education, and God used that. It wasn't a waste. God used that. God used his education for the kingdom of God. So his parents paid for him to have a special education, and then God used it strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God just as you all are today. I persecuted this way of the church 
to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prison. As also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify, which I think is interesting. I never really thought about this, but it's, it's, it's very obvious when you realize Paul had to have encountered Jesus before the road to Damascus. Because Paul, being a very devout Jew, would have been in Jerusalem at that last Passover. No one could have missed the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. No one could have missed the crowd yelling, crucify him. That was a, a, an open display. No one could have missed Jesus in the last days doing miracles in the temple. Straw. And the Pharisees reacting to that as the last straw that they're going to arrest him and, and put him to death. No one could have missed that. So Paul was there. And he met Jesus there, not the way he's going to meet him now. He said, but I had letters from the high priest and the council of the elders. Contessa. From them I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. So Paul is going to Damascus. He's going to try to round up all the Christians and take them back to Jerusalem so they can be punished. Some put to death. For their faith in Christ. So Paul is zealous. He's no to think about it, he's pushing as hard as he can. He's trying to do the what he believes will please God, will please the Pharisees, will please his parents. He's trying to do it all, but on the inside, he's full of guilt and shame. Because he knows his thoughts. He he knows the, the evil in his own heart. He knows what he struggles with. He knows the competition that's there, and he knows that it's probably not about God, but it's about beating out Jimmy, you know? Good Jewish name. <laughs> he was miserable because then something happened. So he's on his way, but happened that while I was on my way approaching Damascus about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me, and I fell to the ground and I heard, heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus, the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me saw the light, to be sure, but they did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, get up and go into Damascus, and there will be told all that has been appointed for you to do. And that now is life to Paul. Because now he's not walking in judgment and guilt and shame. Now he's walking in the freedom of Christ. He feels the freedom of if the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. He's free from his failures. He's free from the past. He's free from the law. He believes he's accepted, not because of what he's done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for him. There's been a change. He's not working to please God. Now he realizes that because of what Jesus has done, that I've been accepted by God. I've been made justified. I've been made righteous in Christ. And now I'm, I'm a child of God. And he would say, he would tell us this, nothing you ever gonna, you're ever going to do is going to cause God to love you more. He was free from performance. 
So he says in Galatians 5.1, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. Don't be, do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Romans 8, 2 through 4. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Christ fulfilled the law for us. Part of what Christ did when he came, he kept the law. Jesus didn't sin. He fulfilled the law for us. Then he took our sin for us. He died in our place. He became an offering for sin. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And Paul was excited about Jesus. And if he had been enthusiastic about about being a Jew, he was ten times more enthusiastic about being in Christ. Because now he wasn't doing it out of awe or change. He was doing it out of joy. He was doing it because he loved Jesus. It changed. With the passion that he had had to persecute the church, now ten times greater, he's going and he's trying to build up the church with all the fire that he's got. This passionate guy, is now his passion has been fueled from the inside out, not out of legalism, not out of, not out of fear, but now it's been motivated by love. You know that love is a better motivator than law. You know what the law says? Don't starve your kids to death. You got to feed them, give them nutrition. Anybody doing better than that? Right? You got to put clothes on them. I don't know. I don't know how you do it in my family, but in our family, if Etta sees a pair of shoes she likes, Grandma's going to get them <laughs> if she can beat Lauren to it. And if Grandpa's there, he's going to get involved. Because we're not doing it out of, oh, this kid ought to have a pair of shoes. We're not waiting for CPS to come and make us put shoes on that kid's feet. We're not doing it to the least. We're going we're gonna to try to do to the most. Lincoln needs something. He's going to get it. And you say, well, you're going to spoil him. I'm going to try. <laughs> that's, that's my job. And so, see, Paul's whole mentality changed. He went from ought and should to joy and love and grace and mercy. So now he's going everywhere planting churches just as fast as he can. He's going and telling people the good news of Jesus Christ. He's going into every synagogue, and he's arguing with them because he studied under Gamaliel. He knows the law as well as they do, and he can explain to them how out of the Old Testament, how Jesus is the Messiah, and he's calling, causing Jews Jewish believers are coming to Christ. Gentiles are coming to Christ. And he's just causing a fire revival all around the Mediterranean where he goes. But then the old shame gang shows back up. A group that they end up calling the Judaizers. They were Jews who came from Jerusalem that then went behind Paul and tried to infiltrate the churches and get them to also keep the law so that they would be good Christians. Now, the law is not bad. you got to remember this. The law is not bad. They're trying to get them to keep the law. You think, well, shouldn't they want to keep the law? Yeah, but 
not to try to keep the law to get, earn God's approval. You already have God's approval in Christ. So here's what the Judaizers are doing. They say, listen, it's good that you become a Christian. It's good. You know, Jesus is good, but he's not enough. There's things that you need to do if you really love Jesus, if you want to be a really good Christian. And, and don't you love Jesus? You'll want to do these things. Uh, you, you want to be the best you can be for Jesus. You need to do better. You need to try harder. You need to keep the law like before. You need to keep the holy days. You need to eat kosher food. You need to keep the festivals. You know, no more uh, crawdads at the Tereshita's house. <laughs> if you're a Gentile, you need to be circumcised. That'll cut down on the altar call, I tell you. So you want to, how, many, how many of you want to give your heart to Jesus today? Oh, by the way, you're going to have to be not baptized some people struggle with baptism. Tell them, you know, it, it was, wasn't my idea. It was God's idea. Y'all act uncomfortable because we're talking about circumcision. It is a weird thing that God made circumcision the right of the Old Testament covenant. Right? Can we all acknowledge that? And so they're trying to add that into the law. They're trying to say, listen, you need to, not only you Gentiles, you need to start keeping the law. Now, here's these bad things. It's the Ten Commandments. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't covet your neighbor's wife and car. You know, don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's not bad stuff. It's good stuff. But if it's your relationship with God comes from your behavior instead of faith in Christ alone and his work, then it's legalism. You are adding to the gospel. It's a different gospel. If it's Jesus plus anything else, it's another gospel. Paul doesn't take it lightly, lightly, because he has planted these churches in the life and freedom of God and freedom of Christ. So this is what he says to the Galatians. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. He says, if, anybody, if I come back to you and preach Jesus plus, may God curse me. He said, if an angel shows up, it's a lie. There's not another gospel. The gospel is faith alone in Christ alone. That Jesus himself paid the price and it is our faith in what he did that saves us and nothing else. You can't add anything to it. And the good thing is you can't take away from it. Once you come to Christ, nothing you do will ever cause Jesus to love you more. And nothing you do will ever cause Jesus to love you less. I wanted to come. Now that's why it's called good news. But you see, there were... Then they wanted to come in and change. So much so that even Peter was 
led away. Peter's the leader of the church at the time, along with James. The apostles are leaders of the church. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. I don't know how legalists do this, but they're able to create an attitude of fear that if you go against them, you're going against God. I haven't had this a lot, but I, had, I did have a guy a couple of years ago that didn't like for me to talk about grace and the grace of God. And when I would talk about salvation is by grace through faith, not of ourselves, it's a gift of God, which is Ephesians, uh, which is a quote of the Bible. I didn't make that up. He would sit, you know, about where Bo is, and he would let me know his displeasure. You know that, you know, you know, he's like, so he, I'd say, I'd talk about grace, I'd make a point, he'd go. I was like, oh, brother. Legalists have a way of exerting the law, what they believe, to make us bend. And they did so this they were fearing the party of the circumcision, these Judaizers who had come from Jerusalem. And the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? We are Jews by law, but not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Now, this is in quotes, because this is what he told Peter, the head of the church. Paul, an apostle come lately, says to the number one guy in the church, listen, you're wrong. You guys are wrong. Barnabas, you're my buddy. You're my pal. But you're wrong. You're hypocrites. We're not saved by keeping the law. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus did the work, not us. And we fight to believe that. You see, here's what we recognize from this. Everybody has to be correctable. Even leaders. Even preachers. Everyone needs to be correctable because none of us are right all the time. Dave Duffenbaugh was in, Duffenbaugh is the best way to say his name, right way to say his name. Dave Duffenbaugh was in the first service, and about, I don't know, a couple of months ago, maybe a year ago, he wanted to meet with me. You never know what that is. It's always, I need to meet with you. You never know. Is it, they, is it a personal tragedy? Is there a problem in their life? Or is it they want to get on to you? And so we went to the other room, and 
Duff talked to me and he said, you know, Randy, your Sunday, your sermon last Sunday was off track. It was wrong. So you, it was when I was preaching about the Ten Commandments. He said, you veered into legalism. You made it about getting behavior and approval by your behavior. You know what I wanted to do? I want to say, you're wrong. But you know what? He was right. He was right. And so I said to him, man, I appreciate you coming to me. I appreciate you talking to me. Now, none of, I don't know if you know this, but none of us like that. None of us like to be told we were wrong. But we all at times need to be told we were wrong. We all have to be able to receive correction. Correction is one of the primary ways that we move forward. If you can't receive correction, you probably won't make progress. You have to be able to allow other people to say, and I, I can't count the number of times, it hasn't been a, a huge number of times, but L that Larry Tereshita, one of the elders in the church, has said to me, you're wrong about that. You've got the wrong attitude about that. Okay. <sighs> we have to be teachable. We have to be correctable. We move forward on correction. None of us are there yet, and God will use other people to speak into our life just as Paul spoke into Peter's life to say, listen, guy, you're off track. You're yielding to these legalists. Don't do it. We've got to fight them. That's the fight of faith. We have to fight the fight of faith to believe the right things about God and ourselves. The fight is not with other people. The fight is with me to believe the right things about what God has said about who I am in, in Christ, what Christ has accomplished for me, and who we are eternally. I need to fight to believe that his work on the cross was complete. It justifies me and it clothes me with righteousness. Not a righteousness that I have because none of us are here good enough today. If we're going to our own before God in our own righteousness, we're all going to hell. Our only hope is the righteousness of God in Christ. It is the complete work of Christ in us, resting in that, the fight to believe that Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Now, here's the thing. If Christianity to you is loaded with guilt and shame, you're not doing it right. If Christianity is loaded with guilt and shame, you have bought into another gospel that is not the gospel. You if you think it's Jesus in you, it's not. It's just Jesus. You know, you heard that song, me and Jesus, we got our own thing going. Me and Jesus, we got it all worked out. No. Doesn't work. You and Jesus ain't working it out. He already worked it out. He already paid the price. You just need to come to terms with what he did. There's no negotiation. It's accepting the complete work of Christ. It satisfies the wrath of God, makes me justified before God, gives me the righteousness of God in Christ, and I'm complete in him. There's no do better, try harder. I need to trust the complete work of Christ. 
the only way to live free of shame and guilt. Because none of us are going to measure up today or tomorrow. Our only hope is the righteousness of God in Christ. You say, well, if you just tell people that they should do what's in their heart, they're just going to run wild. Do what's in your heart. And if you run wild, it shows you that your heart doesn't belong to Jesus. Now, Tina's my wife now of 40 years, three years. It's real close. 43 years. And uh, I've been faithful to her all this time because God made me. No. I've been faithful to her because I love her. It's not, a, it's not an act of ought. It's an act of desire. See, what God wants to do is come and change our life to where we're so in love with Jesus. Our delight in Jesus is what changes our behavior. No external force will change it. He wants to change us from the inside out. And we change our behavior by rejoicing in the complete work of Christ on the cross for our sins. It is enough. It is enough. And if you haven't received it, receive it. Believe it. Jesus paid the price. Rejoice in it. Amen. Let's stand. I said amen like that was the, I'm gonna, that was the end of the prayer, but that was actually the end of the sermon because I'm going to pray now. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we rejoice in the complete work of Christ on Calvary. This amazing thing. You came and lived a perfect, sinless life that we couldn't live. Then you died our death. You tasted our death. You took my death. You bore my death on the cross. The weight of all our sins. Every sin that has ever been sinned and every sin that will ever be sinned, you carried on the cross and then you rose from the dead victorious so that you could give us new life by grace, through faith, that not of ourselves, it is a gift of God. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Lord bless you.
Check, check.